If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. On the robot, you'll see your concentration level. So you're sending your signals via Bluetooth to the robot, your brain signals. It is a microplastic eating robot. It is named Peter. She will disintegrate a microplastics found in polluted waters. We have a self-driving car and AI education kit called Zumi. She teaches students how AI works. Robots used to be the stuff of science fiction. Today, they show up in all aspects of life. They can literally save lives. Think firefighting drones and UV light sterilization. Or you'll find them serving in numerous other fields, which include medicine and education. And by definition, even when they're being used for research, robots usually have a built-in wow factor. Pepper is a humanoid robot, it's a social robot, and it's got some pretty amazing technology behind it. As is the case with what Nonprofit Robotics Society of Southern California is doing, RSSC for short. RSSC is one of the world's first robotic societies founded in the 1970s. RSSC board members Alan Jim and Walter Martinez say they both fell in love with robots early on. Robotics has been kind of a hobby and a passion of mine ever since I was a child. I think Star Wars was the first time I got really excited about robots. I watched Star Wars back in 78, 79, somewhere around there, and I said, that's what I want to do with my life. I want to build robots. And many, many robotic projects later, creating robots continues to be their passion. But it's only been over the past couple of years, let's say four or five years, where you're seeing commonly available 3D printers, low-cost servos, and low-cost microcontrollers, kind of a trifecta of availability of parts that allows people to really get involved and build stuff and get involved in the hobby at low cost. During a 2017 visit to RSSC's regular meeting place, which is the engineering department of Cal State Long Beach, Alan displayed his most recent project, an InMove. The InMove is the world's first life-sized open-source 3D printed robot. Alan explained how he became involved in this project. I was on an unrelated project where another member, not part of our club, it was a whole different group of people, had bought their first 3D printer. And I said, you know what, that sounds like fun. So I did my research, I chose my first 3D printer, and shortly after that, I stumbled across the first set of parts for the InMove. InMove, of course, is an open source robot. The files are available online, so anyone can download the part files and build their own for very low cost. And from that point on, I was hooked. It was my other project went on indefinite hold, and I was all about printing out the parts and building my own InMove. And in the process, he inspired Walter. I built so many robots before, BattleBot and all kinds of robots. I saw Alan's InMove, and I figured, oh, I could build that thing in 30 days. You know, I felt very confident. Then I started learning about 3D printing and how it works, and a year later, I'm still building it. <laughs> Here is why that took so long. I actually ended up getting three 3D printers for this project because when you print a part, it's so slow. It uh, has 27 degrees of freedom, so that means that it can move 27 different ways in the hand. Each 
finger is individually articulated. So you have five servos, one servo for each finger, and then you have a servo for the wrist. And then if you go all the way up the arm, including the hand and the wrist, you have 10 degrees of freedom. That means there's 10 servos. You have two arms and two hands, so that's a total of 20. And you include all the servos in the head and the eyes and the torso. So I got three 3D printers in my garage running 24-7. And it's funny because I just, you know, before I come to work, I set a job and I print three parts. When I get home, I pick up the three parts, move them out of the way, hit print again for three other parts before I go to sleep. And I just repeat that process over and over. And my wife is just, you know, saying, what are you doing? What is this? So now I got her involved in actually removing the parts for me so that I, that I don't lose time, you know, when I get there. So, so it's, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting. You learn so many other things out of that. It is a fantastic project. It has taken me in all kinds of new directions and really expanded my capabilities in terms of a, a robot enthusiast and a hobbyist. You have a total of 27 degrees of freedom. It moves 27 different ways using 31 servos. Now, when you say a servo to a novice like me, what's a servo? Oh, servos are awesome. They're these little gear motors that they use in racing cars and other unrelated hobbies. But they're so popular now and they're produced in such high volume that their cost has really come down. And they're so much fun for use in robotics. I returned for a visit to RSSC the following year. Walter, who is an adjunct professor in Cal State Long Beach's engineering department, had finished building his InMove and added an innovation. I finally got it all connected and I'm finally able to make it move. And, and so I decided one day, hey, why don't I try to make it move just by thinking about it? He had programmed his InMove robot, which he had named Evo, to respond to brainwaves transmitted through a headband-like device. Here's how that works. On the robot, you'll see your concentration level. So you're sending your signals via Bluetooth to the robot, your brain signals. And so all you gotta do is really focus so you can focus that the robot is going forward. And then the robot, when it reaches that level where your concentration meets the robot's levels, then the robot will start moving forward. If you keep concentrating that it goes backwards, it'll go backwards. But there's one problem, the tendency we all have to get distracted. That's why it's not being used for like prosthetics, for example, because our brains, they go all over the place. Anything that we see, you know, like a, a flashlight or something, will immediately turn around and our brains are now focusing on something else. So different parts of the brain are gonna start focusing on different things and producing different waves at different levels. And so the waves that you initially were thinking about are now different. So the robot's not gonna do anything, even though you're thinking about making it move, but you're now focused on something else, so it won't move anymore. Of course, I couldn't look at Evo without having to try it for myself. Walter explained the thought patterns that work if you get distracted. One of the things that I do is to concentrate back quickly, I'll just start doing math in my head because then your brain starts getting those beta waves back up where you have to focus on things and then I can reach those levels again. But if you just start looking around the room, for example, it's pretty hard to concentrate and get to that level again. You really have to focus on some, some problem that you're trying to solve, which is what those beta waves do. Doing mental math once I had the headset on didn't really work for me. 
but I was able to get Evo to move forward by repeating song lyrics in my head. Putting the robot in reverse, however, remained a challenge, possibly due to my being concerned I might actually crash Evo into something. But moving a robot forward through brainwaves alone is an incredible experience. In addition to Evo, Walter also demonstrated another new robot, the Pepper Humanoid. I was fortunate enough to win a grant and I was able to get Pepper for the university here in Long Beach, Cal State University, Long Beach. I was able to get her so that I could do some research with the students on controlling robots, how do we interact with social robots, for example, and just to experiment with the technology because it is the latest and greatest. If I come into your class right now, you're going to show me what I can do with Pepper. What are some of the things we can do? Well, one of the things is we can have a conversation with Pepper. So she has a wide array of questions that she understands, and so you can talk to her. She can also read your face to see if you're happy or sad. What kind of a conversation might you have? What might you ask her that she understands? Things like, you know, what are the laws of robotics? Who made you? When were you born? How do you feel right now? Those kinds of things. Walter and I had conversations with Pepper, which proved a little uncanny because she appeared to be listening and thinking. When I asked her, are you human? She seemed to consider the question for a minute with a couple of robotic tones before answering, of course. And how can she tell what I'm feeling? She reads your face, and so she has a database of faces or, you know, the different face movements that people have, facial expressions, and she can compare an expression against your face, and then she can tell you if you're smiling or if you're sad, those kinds of things. And robotic research doesn't necessarily preclude having fun. Your video has you actually testing her with a fake smile. How does she react? Oh, yeah, she was pretty scared. (laughs) (laughs) You also scared the poor thing with a fake mouse, I might add. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I'm still playing around with her and just finding out a lot of things, interesting things that are in there. You and I have been listening to Alan Tim and Walter Martinez, board members of the Robotics Society of Southern California, which is one of the world's first robotics societies. If you also love robots... RSSC would like to invite you to their free virtual meetings. These happen on the second and fourth Friday of every month, and you do not have to be building a robot to attend. Their next scheduled meeting dates are Friday, August 28th, and Friday, September 11th, and you'll find the Zoom link and more information, as well as their YouTube channel with past presentations at rssc.org. That's rssc.org. So we have a self-driving car and AI education kit called Zumi, and it's a she, so she teaches students how AI works and self-driving car works. Meanwhile, San Diego-based educational robotics startup Robolink has been coming up with cool ways to get young students comfortable with AI ever since the company started in 2012. At CES 2019, Robolink CEO Hansel Hong had just launched a Kickstarter program for his Zumi self-driving car kit. Zumi is a very cute two-wheeled vehicle created to look like a minibus with big eyes. And while she looks like a lot of fun, students are going to be learning a lot from her. We want to make sure that as young as middle school or high school students learn the concept of AI and self-driving car so that they can get a step closer to become like Tesla engineer or 
AI engineer or create other awesome AI things for our work. Hansel explained the choice to make the robot female. We want to make sure that we engage more female students into the field. So we purposely make it something familiar, something like, you know, it's a girl and we wanted to get some emotional connection with the girls out there. Now, how does this work? Hansel says that question has two answers, depending on a student's age. There's uh, two different things. For younger students, they'll be using a program called Blockly. So more people are familiar with Scratch. So it's like a graphical coding pictorial programming that you can do that you know a lot of students can do already. So you can pro using that to program it and you enable AI to do it. And once you go actually older students, like high school students, then we use the real AI tools in the engineering world, such as TensorFlow, Keras, or OpenCV, which are the real tools that self-driving car engineers use. Hansel and his team developed Zoomy, as well as their other robotic products, with the help of some very important collaborators. Before we were having Sumi, we actually taught about 10,000 students with our previous products, Rocky Smart and Codrum. And we've been actually teaching about, about 100 students with Sumi while we are developing it. And students have been really enjoying it. So we always test it with the students first and then we make sure that it's fun and engaging and easy for them. You and I have been listening to Hansel Hong, CEO of San Diego-based educational robotics startup Robolink. At the time we spoke, in January 2019, Zumi had already garnered two major honors. She had won a Best of CES Innovation Award in the robotics and drone category and raised $20,000 towards a $50,000 goal on the first day of her Kickstarter campaign. Zumi would go on to receive Kickstarter pledges of just over $150,000 before the campaign ended. You can find out more about Zumi, spelled Z-U with an umlaut, M-I, at robolink.com. And you might also like to check out Robolink's other creations. They have the Codrone, which teaches students ages 8 and up to program a drone in about 10 minutes and Rocket Smart, a kit that allows young roboticists to build 12 different robots. Once again, that is robolink.com. I just won the pitch competition for a student startup and I'm really excited. I'm really blown away. Fast forward to a year later at CES 2020 in Las Vegas in January, where a biodegradable robot took top honors in the student pitch competition in the Eureka Park startup area. It is a microplastic eating robot. Gabriella Pleasant is both a linguistics student at UC Santa Cruz and the founder and CEO of Pleasant Robotics. And she had designed her robot to help create a healthier environment. It is named Peter. She will disintegrate a microplastics found in polluted waters. Why Peter? Why'd you name her Peter? Okay, well, <laughs> it's P-E-T eating robot. So P-E-T, the type of plastic eating robot, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> you had me wondering. I was thinking, Peter like a rock or whatever. Yeah. Gabby, as she prefers to be called, said Peter's shape 
evolved? It was a slow process. It was originally a jellyfish. And after a time, I just I realized jellyfish isn't going to work. So over the last two years, I've just been changing the design slowly over time. Today, Peter is a turtle-shaped robot. She is made of chitosan, which is actually deacylated chitin, which is insect shells or shrimp shells, and uses enzymes and enzymatic mesh to break down microplastics. And Gabby said Peter was actually the first robot she's designed. Her inspiration came from some great books. A few years back, I started reading Isaac Asimov robotics books, and I thought, oh, I want to be a roboticist. And that was the beginning of me wanting to be a roboticist. From there... Day one, I found out about a thing called the Colette application, where if you have an invention, you find an advisor to work with you. I could not find one, so I wasn't able to go. But I was able to begin the idea of Peter, and at the time, Peter was a jellyfish that was going to be made of, I wasn't sure, I think wood pulp at that time and it just is a terrible idea so I definitely had to work from that and then over the iterations the jellyfish got more and more complex and then I just took the entire jellyfish design and put it on the inside of a turtle design. That creative journey involves some research and exploration. I ask a lot of people at my university and they just kind of answer my questions. Now people are going to notice the pronoun we've been using for Peter. We keep calling her her. How'd you come up with her being a her? My advisor actually thought it would be a really good idea to have Peter be a she because not only is it more engaging, but I like a lot of pink and it just helps me relate to Peter as well. So Peter is a pink robot? Oh no, Peter will actually be a dull brown. While Peter was in prototype form in January, Gabby had a clear vision for the future. We purchase a Peter, we produce that Peter once it's purchased, and then we release Peter into the ocean water, and we will probably film it or record it in some way so that you can see your Peter going out into the water. I'm not sure about that, but we'll work on it. And then Peter will just go on her way, and she'll be released into the ocean waves. We're considering having a tracking device on Peter. I believe we're going to be able to do that as the next step once we get the basic prototype down. And that vision is far-reaching. The big picture is there are a lot of solutions that are already out there, such as ocean cleanup, and I think they're doing a great job. And it is, it's very effective, however, it is very far removed from the individual. The most an individual can do is just send money their way and hope that it goes towards a solution. Peter is the bridge between the individual and the overwhelming problem. Peter is the individual product that will allow each one of us in our own time to take a step towards a solution. Ocean Cleanup is great. Other companies are great. However, you can do it. I can do it. Anyone listening to this podcast is able to make a difference with Peter, and it directly links us to healing our oceans. You and I have been listening to Gabriella Pleasant, CEO and founder of Pleasant Robotics. For updates on the Peter robot, check out Pleasant Robotics. Dot com. That's PleasantRobotics.com. And that's a quick look at just four of the amazing robots out there right now. The really exciting thing is to think that they're all evolving even as we think about them. Wow Factor Engaged. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X, twomavericks.com. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.